We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University. I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. All right, everyone, welcome in to a. Buzzbeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. We are using Twitter spaces here as we recap the game. Uh, the Hornets just beat the Memphis Grizzlies 118-108, capping off the West Coast trip. I guess this is not a West Coast trip because we're in Memphis, but the road trip that they just had. Uh, I'm joined by Lee today, and uh, it's funny enough, like this is not their longest road trip of the season. It felt like it with the way that they've been playing, but we actually have a six straight road trip in the middle of December. So it was good for the Hornets to get this win to kind of cap it off. I think I was expecting maybe two wins on this trip, but obviously one is better than none. So Lee, how's it going? It's good. No, I mean, obviously this win was needed desperately. You know, the Hornets were were on a massive skid uh, after starting five and two, and this gets us uh, one game closer back to 500. Um, I think BG and Spencer did a really good job uh, on the last podcast of kind of kind of laying out uh, some of the reasons why um, the defensive efficiency has been so porous and why the offense has dropped off a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into some of the reasons why we think the, the Hornets might have been able to pull off a win today in Memphis. Yes, yeah, so – we're going to recap the game, and then we have two listener questions at the end that I'm hoping to get to if we have time. We're trying to aim for, like I said, 30 minutes or so, and then obviously here in Twitter spaces, we'll take any requests as well, uh, probably towards the end when we get to those listener questions. But as this game started, we both talked about this, how you know before the recording here, Memphis just got off to this crazy hot start, felt like they were shooting like 90% from the field in that <laughs> first half of the first quarter. Morant hit like 10 floaters, like that drop coverage that the Hornets were were playing was definitely killed off with those floaters there. I think he had 19 points in the first quarter alone. And in that first half, when he sat in that big chunk uh, in that second quarter, that's when Charlotte started to pick it up. And that's when the momentum started to swing back in Charlotte's favor. What I thought was very, very telling in the second half I thought the Hornets were going to lose this game in the third quarter when, one, there was a flagrant one on LaMelo, which 
Again, uh-huh. I, I was not a big fan of that call, but maybe by the letter of the law, it had to be called a flagrant one. And there was just turnovers after turnovers uh, in that third quarter. A lot of poor decisions by LaMelo, which helped kill off you know Charlotte's momentum and swung it back in Memphis's favor. So as I was watching this game unfold, I'm, I'm kind of telling myself, okay, here we go again. They are basically going to end this road trip 0-5 uh, because of this third quarter. But they were able to get it back together. And then, obviously, Oubre sets a record for the Hornets off the bench, 37 points. I think, you know, Oubre, we talk about him a lot. He's very hot-cold. He's an all-or-nothing type of player. He's either hitting his shots or he's not. 7 of 9 from behind the arc tonight and 6 of 8 on two-point shots. So, really, anywhere he shot the ball, it was going in. So, yeah, I think that's my like my key like initial takeaways there. Obviously, Ubre is the guy that you kind of point to when you think about this game. Yeah, I, I think regarding Ubre, I mean, I've kind of been like talking about all season how the roller coaster ride that that is like watching Kelly Ubre play for your team. Um, obviously, we we have not had that perspective yet as he's a newcomer in Charlotte. So watching him on a night-to-night basis, frankly, is one of the most wild experiences I've ever had. I mean, I tweeted out, you know, essentially he's either Ray Allen or he's non-existent. And, you know, if you look at his game log for the entire season, you got the Cleveland game when he was 4 for 3 You got the Boston overtime loss when he was 5 for 10 from 3. But if you remember that Boston game, he was five for five in the first half and over five in the second half. So you, you can even get these massive Ubre swings from quarter to quarter, half to half the Portland game. He goes six for 11 from three, which was our last win prior to this Memphis win. And then on this whole entire West coast swing, he's just been God awful from a offensive efficiency suit shooting standpoint. And then tonight he sets the record for the largest point production from a Charlotte Hornets bench player in the franchise history with 37 and, and obviously just kind of completely carried the offense in the second half. So I think this is just who he is. I think this is just what we have to like Expect. mentally prepare ourselves. You know what I mean? Like it, this is going to like, it's very possible against New York on Friday. He's going to go one for seven and only play 19 minutes and be yep. a non-factor. Um, like that, that is a very possible outcome. So I guess the point I'm trying to make here is Kelly Oubre is who he is. And some nights he's going to be brilliant and he's going to basically win games for us with his shooting. And there's going to be other nights where you wonder why he's out there at all. The only other point I would make quickly is obviously we've got to talk about the zone a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Charlotte went to that zone at some point early in the second quarter, I believe is when they started moving towards it. I already kind of alluded to on the last pod, how we talked about that. This has been one of one of, if not the worst defenses in the entire NBA, the Hornets go to that matchup zone and played it. What looked like about 90% of the time um, since they went to it in that second quarter, Memphis shoots 42% from the field, 23% from three. They missed some wide open ones. Don't get me wrong. But I I think generally that zone really bothered them. We'll get to Patrick here in Twitter spaces after my thought on the zone real quick. I do think that they need to play the zone more frequently. Last season, we saw it 
and we were like, okay, they're playing it too much. Like this is bad habits that they're developing and they were almost doing it out of necessity. This year, they didn't really start off the season playing the zone and we saw where their defense, you know, ended up at like 27th, 28th in the league. And you're just like, they got, they got to fix it somehow. And obviously the personnel is what they have and they've got to try something different. And playing a zone, like there's a lot of complications that come with it. It's a very much a catch-22 type of situation because, mm-hmm. first off, the Charlotte Hornets are not a good rebounding team. And when you think about the zone or playing a zone on defense, sometimes that complicates things. And I think a team that doesn't rebound the ball well, uh, you might not, you know, in turn, obviously not rebound the ball well in a zone because you don't know who you're supposed to box out. But I also think that maybe – with the way that the defense has been playing where they're often in scramble mode because there's no communication, there's not any real resistance on the ball, you're forcing a little bit too much help too often. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just a lot more movement when you're playing man-to-man and especially more movement when you can't keep the ball in front of you. So with a zone, it's almost like a gang mentality where, yes, you may not be guarding someone one-on-one and maybe you don't have a specific person but you have an area and I think they can all corral the rebound a little bit better the communication is simplified because you all you're only worried about a specific area on the court it can get you into trouble sometimes you can't play the zone 24 7 so I do think it's counterintuitive but I think potentially more zone for this team keeps players in front less confusion less moving parts and I like I said it just kind of promotes that gang mentality when it comes to the rebounding of the ball so Patrick C. here in Twitter Spaces. Do you have a comment or a question? Look, I just want to say we're about to get 75-7 and seven the hard way. Um, <laughs> I think we did a pretty good job tonight with our defense. Maybe not in terms of the entire NBA, but um, and just in terms of our personal 13 games. Um, hopefully the um, people on the staff that are a lot smarter basketball-wise than pretty much anyone here can realize that and hopefully we can capitalize on what we've potentially discovered through the last 48 minutes of basketball. Go Hornets. Go Hornets. Yes. It was a, it was a positive note to end on and uh, they've got four games coming up here at home. And I think the goal is to win two of two. And I, and I mentioned this prior when we uh, met last time, Lee, that that loss against Cleveland prior to this, this West coast trip was just like killer to me. Like I think what would they have entered the the West Coast trip as like six and two? I think if they had won that game against Cleveland, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, th- I believe I th- that's right. Yeah, so those are the games that you got to win. You got to look back on the you you know it's one game early in the season, but when you look back at the season, it's it's those types of games against teams that either are in your ballpark or a step below that you've got to win. Totally, Lee. Lee any totally. thoughts? Any more thoughts on the zone? Do you do you like them playing it more often? Yeah, well, I think you're right, Richie. Like, it can't be something you play 100% of the time. NBA teams are just are, they're just too good um, from an offensive, like, shooting efficiency standpoint. Like I said, Memphis did miss a lot of open shots tonight. But I also think, particularly when you think about the fact that it was, it was able to slow down that turn-the-corner downhill uh, lane attack that John Morant had going in the first quarter – uh, basically with no resistance. So it, it just threw him a little bit of a different look. Um, it's, it's a bit easier to manage kind of that pick and roll defense when you, when you go to the matchup zone. The only other thing I would say about the matchup zone 
it's kind of like this amoeba matchup zone. And when you watch the Hornets defensively, as the ball's being swung around the perimeter or as the, or as the opponent tries to kind of dribble drive it, the Hornets stay in that matchup zone. If you watch carefully, when the ball enters the middle of the floor, um, so right around you know the free throw line or the elbow, mm-hmm. if the ball gets to the middle, the Hornets, they morph into a man-to-man for the remainder of the possession. Um, and that's something I noticed them doing last year with, with the matchup zone, and that's something I noticed them doing again tonight with the matchup zone. So I think that's just kind of a little nugget for the audience and the fans to look for is, you know, when the Hornet, when Borrego does go to this matchup, which he may start doing a bit more of since it's, it showed some success tonight, to kind of take, take an interest in, in watching that, um, that late man-to-man shift when the ball does get to the middle. Yeah, he's got to try something. Got to try something because the, the way that they're playing defense right now was not working. So I think the past couple of games against the Lakers and now against Memphis, it's had some success. And mm-hmm. the middle of the zone, obviously, is the the part that you're trying to attack if you're on the offense. So once when it gets to the middle of the zone, that's when things start to break down. So maybe that's why they're kind of shifting their focus to more of a, a man-to-man when it gets to the middle of the court. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's let's talk about a couple other players here before we get to the listener questions. I, I guess we can go almost anywhere. Uh, Hayward... I think he's been probably the best slash most consistent player on this West Coast swing. Just, you know, from four quarters, 48 minutes of play, he's the guy that I think has been the best. Like, he's averaging, like, 21-plus points prior to the Grizzlies game. I think tonight he had a little bit over that. Shooting the ball from well, you know, all over the court. I think he's actually been more aggressive earlier in the games because I think what we saw earlier in the season, it felt like he just picked his spots later in the game, second half when the team needed it. But little, you know, did he know that, like, we always need him. Like, you you, you need to step up and be aggressive even in the first quarter when you might not think it has that big of an impact. And I think that shows with, you know, the way that he attacks the rim, the way that he's getting to the free throw line. I don't know how many free throw attempts he took tonight, but – I would assume close to ten, if I if I had a guess. He, he he was actually he was eleven for eleven from the free throw line tonight. And a couple of those came late when Grizzlies were fouling when they probably True. shouldn't have. But still, that that's a good signal that he's attacking the rim. Very strong ending to the third quarter for him. Just so freaking aggressive off those closeouts. And then so other than Hayward, you know, I think he's obviously like I said been the most consistent player on this West Coast wing. I do. I do want to mention Nick Richards. I mean, again, he he's a guy that like only plays these short little stints, but 
he's slowly turning me in a favor of him in terms of how I view him. Uh, he's got a ways to go on the offense. He missed this one dunk in the third quarter, which just felt like it was like another momentum killer, like I mentioned at the top of the, the podcast here, where things were just weren't going Charlotte's way in that third quarter. But defensively and just being physical, like that's a strength mm-hmm. of his. And, he, and he's going to be used this season because – Clearly, you're still waiting on Kai. You're still waiting on JT Thor. Those guys aren't ready to play. And then uh, with Plumlee's foul trouble, you're going to have to have a a center that comes in and and plays and is a a physical guy. And obviously, PJ, we're waiting on him too. So wanted to mention Hayward, wanted to mention Richards as well, uh, in addition to our Ubre talk. Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with Hayward. It's like every single night you just – uh, you check the box score after the game, and it's like it's just another like pretty efficient twenty five and five. It feels like every single night. So uh, Hay- Hayward's also shooting the ball incredibly well from three right now. So hopefully that keeps up. I mean, he's only two six tonight, but he's above forty five percent on the season right now. I mean, Richards is my guy. I've been I've been uh, been tooting his horn since the preseason. Um, he still has a long way to go. Um, he had five fouls tonight in 10 minutes. So, you know, he's not playing flawless basketball out there. But, you know, if – I mean, he, he in the box score, he's got two blocks. It felt like he had three or four, frankly. You know, he's just he's, – he's a, he's a legit seven-footer that has pretty good timing, a ton of length. He runs the floor. He, he rolls really hard in the pick and roll. And – you know, he's not trying to do too much right now. I th- it seems like to me the coaching staff has done a good job of kind of like getting him to understand the parameters in which he can be successful and not trying to kind of go outside of those parameters. So, I mean, he still makes me nervous at times, particularly like when he's trying to catch the ball on the move. Um, he'll still throw the ball away at some time, sometimes, even though he didn't have any turnovers tonight. Or I guess he had one turnover tonight. But agreed. Nick Richards has been a nice little kind of minor player development story here and 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 given some decent minutes until hopefully we can get PJ Washington back. The only other um I think thought I had, Richie, unless you had anything else uh prior to the questions, is I do think it's interesting from a rotational standpoint that it seems like right now Ish Smith is oh, effectively yeah. out, out of the rotation. Obviously, Ish was was pretty awesome in the early season. He has been kind of equally as bad on the on this kind of West Coast swing. So it's just interesting that we're you know Terry Rozier finally seems to be kind of fully healthy now, and JB Brego is electing to essentially like he's starting Rozier and Ball, but then the rest of the game. He's pretty much either staggering them or, of course, they're on the court together mm-hmm. in kind of more important situations. But it's either Ball or Rozier as the primary ball handler now, depending on the other kind of lineup configurations. And and Ish is the odd man out at the moment, at least. Yeah, and Rozier can't pass. You saw that alley-oop to Miles Bridges. Like, what's that? <laughs> yeah, I Miles went and got it anyway. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand the Ish thing. Like, I, it just feels like very sudden to me like yeah like he went from playing to not playing at all like I get that you know players have struggles throughout the course of the season but is there something else going on that like we just don't know about like I I don't get it I don't really get it I think that he could be used and you know you don't want to overextend LaMelo you don't want to overextend Terry Rozier Um, it's nice to have a guy like that that can get up and down the court 
he's a guy that is you know hot and cold at times like Ubre, but I think what he brings to this team with this transition offense, with his distributing, I get that he's undersized, but now that Charlotte's playing zone a little bit more often, maybe that will play in to like hiding his his weaknesses on that end of the court. I just don't get it. It, it feels sudden to me as to why that he was kind of taken out uh, of the rotation. Uh, and to Rozier's point, he's actually played a little bit better these past couple of games, more so in the Laker game than tonight. I think the biggest thing, kind of like to Hayward's you know, game, more aggressive, like not second-guessing his shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seemed like his first few games back from his injury, he just wasn't attacking. He wasn't attacking the rim. He hesitated shooting the ball tonight and also against the Lakers he just was more aggressive it's it's also not just like the numbers that he puts up but it's also like the his movement like it's movement totally the way that he moves up and down the court the way that he comes off of screens it just feels more like himself yeah no I totally agree like he he's finally feels like he's moving in a healthy way and uh yeah I mean we've all you know and, and I don't this isn't breaking news or anything but like Terry Rozier traditionally uh, has been much, much more effective as an off-ball player than he has been as, as kind of like a like an on-the-ball offensive initiator. But I do think he's actually been pretty good as a caretaker. So, so I just think that's interesting. I, I'm kind of with you, Richie. I'm hopeful that Ish can kind of work his way back into the rotation. I like the change of pace. I like spreading um, the, the, the kind of like offensive organization uh, responsibilities around a little bit more. Obviously – I guess the one thing we didn't mention is that, that of course, Hayward is is initiating a lot of offense, too. But, no, I, I, I think uh, Rozier has been kind of pleasantly surprising in the, uh, you know, in the, in the point guard responsibility standpoint over the last couple games. So we'll see how that develops. And, you know, I mean, eventually he's going to start – he's going to start pushing that that three point percentage back up to, 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 to return to the mean. He's still, he's still really not shooting the ball great yet. Um, but yeah, yeah. He's lagging behind a little bit, but he did have five assists tonight, uh, Mm -hmm. to your point. So, you know, that's a good sign. No, I think, uh, one of the listeners, Dylan Jackson, I think he had tweeted out that every starter had at least five assists tonight, which is a pretty, pretty interesting stat. And the Hornets, I mean, they moved the ball incredibly well tonight. I thought, Cody Martin. Oh, I mean, he's just like, talk about consistent. I mean, the guy is indispensable. He's frankly, he's indispensable in this rotation. Yeah, and I think last year he was such a zero or maybe even a negative on the offensive end of the court where they would just kind of place him in the corner and he would not feel all that involved. And if he did catch the ball, like he wasn't going to do anything with it. Like the offensive jump just feels real. It feels meaningful. He's driving. He's driving and dishing. He's catching and shooting without hesitation. He's shooting off the bounce. He had this little sidestep three tonight against the Grizzlies. Like just feels more comfortable, more confident. And even if you can just get a little bit better on the offensive side, like he has this year, like you know he's 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 a factor on the defensive side of the court. He's got the energy. Uh, again, he's still making those jumps, and he's going to be a big reason as to why I think Booknight is going to be held back a little bit in terms of because what what is Booknight going to bring to this team? I think, and this kind of this probably transitions perfectly in, into one of our questions here, but. I guess we can go ahead and get to that. So from a listener of ours, actually a really good follow on Twitter, Mark Schindler, M. Schindler MBA on Twitter. He asked, what are our thoughts with Booknight and why he's not getting any real run to start the season? 
you know, we're obviously not aware of anything behind the scenes, like how he's progressing in practice, all that type of stuff. I just, like I said, I just think what the team needs right now, he doesn't necessarily provide that, like defense, rebounding. I just think it's going to take time for him. I think I'd love to see him out there on the court to give it a shot, but I'm not worried by any means. But to my previous point, Cody Martin is ahead of him right now in that kind of guard wing spot. And yes, he's not the high upside type of player that Book Knight can be, but everything that, that Cody Martin's doing right now, like there's, you're, you're going to be hard pressed to take him out of the lineup. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, it's becoming more and more clear that, you know, Cody Martin is just a linchpin uh, in this rotation right now. He feels like the guy, frankly, you know, last season it was kind of uh, Malik Monk and Miles Bridges coming off the bench, uh, and you felt you felt like, oh, if the starters aren't really playing all that well, you're going to get this Monk Bridges injection um, to kind of to hopefully turn things around. And now it kind of feels like Cody Martin, and, and then pretending depending on which version of Ubre you get on a given night is kind of that that's kind of what they are now it's like okay if the starters aren't playing that well or if this even if the starters are playing well and you're trying to kind of like extend a lead or keep some momentum going all of a sudden you know cody martin jumps off the bench six to seven minutes into the game and completely kind of changes the the structure of the defense particularly at the point of attack obviously he took the john morant assignment when, when he did come into the game prior to the Hornets going to that matchup zone. Uh, and, and again, like we've talked about it pretty much. I like the, for the first five games, I don't think any of us wanted to mention it. And then like seven games into the season, we kind of had, we were like forced to kind of bring up the topic of can Cody Martin, like, is he like a decent low volume three point shooter now? And uh, yeah, it feels very real. I think you tweeted, uh, you tweeted out, the clip of him making the transition three in the first half um, when he kind of uh, stepped to the side, backed himself up a little bit, set himself and knocked it in. Even his misses right now are like dead on in and out or just a little bit long. You know, I think he's he's maybe had like one or two ugly misses, but not very many. So yeah, just the fact that he's bringing, something to the table offensively makes him so much more playable in so many more situations um, because he's not that, that negative liability right. that you were kind of alluding to. So, and then just quickly on, like, I'm not panicking by any, don't think um, we should take too much away. In the fact he's not in the early rotation. It's really hard to make an impact as a, as a guard, the rookie, and as rookie guard in the NBA. Um, and, and James Brigler and this team are trying to win right now. And I don't think he's going to be able to bring anything to the table right off the bat that, that, um, that Cody Martin isn't particularly defensively. Yeah. And that's, that's a need of Charlotte's, uh, second, (laughs) second question we're going to get to here from Div. Also a good follow on Twitter at stat center. Uh, the Hornets are 25th in defensive rebounding so far. What's the best way, either in terms of scheme or rotations, to address this, obviously, without changes to the roster? So with the way that the roster is made up now, how can you affect the defensive rebounding? Again, I think Memphis tonight did a good job of getting on the offensive glass. 
I think it's just going to be one of those things that uh, is going to plague the Hornets all season, and uh, they're going to have to withstand it some way. But, you know, to be a good rebounding team outside of size, I think it comes to being in positioning a little bit more, uh, more often than not. So if you don't have the size, which Charlotte does like to play small at times, you at least have to be in position. So like I mentioned earlier, maybe, just maybe, I know this seems counterintuitive, but maybe the zone defense could help them out with the rebounding because, you know, in theory, yes, you want more point-of-attack defenders on this team. You want players that can kind of switch seamlessly and not be out of position. So when you do this, you want to reduce all of that stuff. And... I think that gang mentality with the zone defense could help the Hornets in a way. It's really hard to answer this question because I don't think like there's a clear cut answer. I don't think there's a clear cut answer. And I, I will say this, like Plumley <laughs> Plumley has not been great this year, but the team does rebound better when he is out there. Um, maybe compared to say like PJ, like when they go small with PJ, PJ is a guy, obviously, that can switch across a couple positions, so you're not out of position, but he is a little bit shorter, right? Like six, seven, six, eight. Mm-hmm. Um, so for all of Plumlee's faults, which he does have plenty, uh, I, I think the team does play better on the defensive side of the board when rebounding the ball, rebounding the ball. So it, it very much is like a catch-22. You're trying to gain advantages on the offensive end of the court with PJ and the spacing, but then... You know, you might give up some defensive rebounding. Um, So it's a very tough equation to solve. Yeah, I mean, this is this is going to sound like a little bit of like a flippant answer. Um, But, you know, from from just like a, a very like easy standpoint or easy perspective, when you have one of the worst defensive efficiencies in the NBA, that means that the team you're playing is making a lot of shots. And when the team you're playing is making a ton of shots, there aren't very many defensive rebounds to be had. So I think the fact that the Hornets are one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA, uh, it's just like one plus one equals two. They're just not a very good defensive rebounding team because they aren't getting stops. Um, the only other thing I would say to that is I do think there are at times they're so they're so tuned on trying to get out in transition that sometimes yes. I think our wings leak out a little bit too much. Like there were a couple times tonight where Memphis got some long offensive rebounds that they probably shouldn't have gotten, but almost like the team was almost too pressed to get out and run. And they've been fantastic in transition, and the pace has been awesome, and, and the Hornets have been able to score some easy buckets that way. But I just think, like, from a ball security st- standpoint um, and from, like, a securing the defensive rebound and then run standpoint, maybe there could be a little emphasis, hopefully, from the coaching staff from a scheme standpoint on that one. Um, but at the end of the day, the Hornets are going to have to force missed shots to, uh, to corral defensive rebounds. I think the two biggest things that always, well, not always, I should say, but that just plague the Hornets. When the Hornets don't do well, it's always turnovers and mm-hmm. all, giving up offensive rebounds. And that's what happened in the third quarter tonight. Like, I would kind of want to key in and focus on those two stats in that third quarter. And I would yeah. I would bet that the offensive rebounds that the Grizzlies had and the turnovers that the Hornets had were fairly high. I mean, I don't have those numbers in front of me, but I could probably look those up and it would 
be on the higher side compared to those other quarters. Like that's that's when things started to unravel a little bit. Oh, let's do this real quick. Do you have any Eric Collins quotes from tonight? <laughs> we have, we haven't done this in a while. Was there anything that stuck out to you? I had one. Um, when Eric Collins was referring to Stephen Adams as a tough guy in the NBA, uh-huh. he said that Stephen Adams gargles thumbtacks. Oh my goodness, I didn't hear that. <laughs> Did you hear any? No. Of that? Well, yes, I do have one. Okay, when he was talking about Kyle Anderson, he's on a diet of strictly strictly eucalyptus trees. Uh, I didn't I didn't get it at first, but I was like, okay, slow mo, okay, sloths, sloths eat eucalyptus tree. Like that's it took me a while to kind of connect the dots, but that's where he was going with that, I think. He's the best. He's just the best <laughs> in the business, too. He also completely lost his ever loving mind on the Miles Alley, which is just always a treat. Like I don't even remember what he said. I just remember that he essentially had like a cardiac arrest on live TV. Yeah, he's probably falling out of his chair, and Dell's probably trying to help him back up. That's probably what's happening. Oh, man. All right, guys. Well, thanks again for tuning in to a Twitter Spaces slash podcast here. We appreciate all the uh, participation and the listeners. We will talk to you guys next time. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.